You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. Uh, multiplication through gratitude. I was preparing, um, in fact, I shared just uh, about 30 seconds last Sunday what we were going to share on today. Um, and I try not to do that because sometimes I feel like I'm giving things away before it's time to give them away. But when I sat on it, I thought, okay, Lord, which direction do you want me to go for the end of 2018? And as I was getting ready, I just felt strongly from the Lord, okay, now share this one. And so I did, uh, or I am this morning. And so I started piecing it together. And the more I was piecing it together, um, the Lord just began to add more and add more and add more. So we're not going to get it all out today. And I don't intend on carrying this over into 2019 or at least until next week. But I'm going to share what I can this morning. And if we don't have time, we'll stop where we do. Is that okay? But anyways, we're coming to the end of 2018 and let's pray real fast and we'll just dive in. Father, we thank you again that you are here. Your word says we're two or more gathered. You're in our midst. So Jesus, I thank you that because we are here gathered in your name, you are here. And Father, again, we just thank you for all that you have done this, this past year alone, for everything that you have done. And as my mom said earlier, we thank you in advance for what you will be doing in 2019. And Father, right here in this moment, this morning, we just, whatever might be weighing anyone down, whatever might be uh, a concern for anyone in here, this morning we admit our hands are too small, but your hands are big enough. And this morning we hand those problems over to you because you care for us. And so this morning, Lord, we rest in your presence. We rest because you said it is finished. And whenever you say it's finished, it is finished. So we're not going to strive. We're not going to fight. We're not going to try and reason our way out of anything. As 2018 comes to an end, we look to you and we thank you that you have already done it all. So we thank you for all that you've done, all that you are doing and all that you will do. And we thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus name, everyone said. Amen. Amen. You know that one of the titles that Jesus has is Alpha and Omega. Alpha and Omega. Do you know where that what book that's found in? Revelation. All right. Very good. The revelation of Jesus Christ. All right. One of the names that God revealed so that all of us can see it is Jesus is both the Alpha and the Omega. Then if that's not clear enough, he says, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And last time I shared on that, we were actually at two exalt that location. Some of you remember we were that was about three years ago. And when I shared on that sermon, I think I started crying because it was the end of our time there. And how fitting that that week the Lord had prepared me to teach Alpha and Omega. And so as our time came to an end, we saw that an ending doesn't have to be bad. I think many times we look at life and we say every new beginning is God. Whenever a new door opens, we give God the glory. We give him the credit. We praise the Lord. Oh, yes, something new is happening in my life, something fresh, something that I needed to happen. But then when something comes to an end, we say it's the devil. <laughs> it's all the devil. <laughs> Satan is coming against me with everything he's got. And the fact of the matter is, Jesus did not say, I am the Alpha and I am the beginning, period. He said, I'm both Alpha and I am beginning and. And if you know how to approach an ending, an ending can be just as good as the next beginning. 
All right. He is Alpha and he's Omega. Now, we start every year in this church the same way. We always say, look, know Jesus more. And in fact, that was going to be my message. I was actually going to preach the same thing I've been sharing on Bible studies at the end of every year. I thought, why not share it on a Sunday morning? Make the beginning of next year. uh, Your goal is to know him more. But as I was preparing again, I felt the Lord push me in a different direction. But suffice to say this, he is both Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. And I, I get, as I was just meditating on it, I think one of the problems I think we have as believers is this. We tend to hold on to things longer than we should. And we tend to uh, uh, be more emotionally attached, emotionally attached to things longer than we should. So when Jesus comes and says, OK, now it's time for this to end. All of a sudden we have this hurt and this pain and all these feelings attached to it. And all the while the Lord is saying, no, <laughs> this was here for a time. Now. We can call some relationships out on some people, but don't do that. <laughs> We're not here to look at that this morning. But you know what, though? At the end of the day, it's like someone saying, I love 2018 so much, I refuse to go into 2019. It doesn't matter. 2019 is coming, <laughs> whether you're prepared for it or not. But I'm here to give you good news. Jesus has gone ahead of you in 2019. Let me say this. Your best days are yet to come. Your best days are still ahead of you. And man, I'm excited. A good friend of mine, he's, a, he's very prophetic, flows in prophetic. And he said this, he said, man, I tell you, it makes no sense to me. He said, the revelation, he said, God gives you. He said, I don't understand. He said, I just can't figure it out. He said, the reason why I will never turn my back on what God is doing with you in that church is because you blow my mind with the revelation God gives. And I didn't take it as a way to feel, well, you know, I know all these. It wasn't that at all. For me, it was God is investing into you. Yes, I'm a, I, I get it as well. But God is investing into you. And God is not a bad businessman. God doesn't invest in things that aren't going to produce. So if God is giving us truth and revelation about Jesus, it's because God is investing in you. And God believes and sees where you will be. So, man, our best days are ahead. Are you ready for the word? Anyways, so he's the beginning. He's the end. Let's, uh, if you have your Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 7. Let's open up to Hebrews chapter 7. And I want to start today off talking about Jesus as a high priest, okay? Now, we've talked, on, we've talked about this a lot. We've, we've shared on it. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I do want to make sure that we're all on the same page and we're all on common ground, all right? Jesus is our high priest. Did you know that for the last 2,000 years, Jesus has had one job, all right? One job. And that job is the job of a high priest, Okay, now if you want to know more about the high priest, you can go to the podcast and listen to that whole segment. We uploaded it. But anyways, Jesus is our high priest. And the beauty of the high priest is God saw in Exodus chapter 20, the moment he gave the Ten Commandments, the moment the Ten Commandments came out of his mouth, God realized, "Uh uh-oh, they're in trouble. (laughs) Now, I say it like that on purpose. In fact, God says in another place, he says, I am not a man that I should lie, nor am I the son of man that I should repent. The word repent means that I should change my mind. I know what I'm doing and I do it on purpose. When Paul talks about the law, Paul says God gave the law so that sin might increase. At Mount Sinai, and not to re-preach that sermon, but at Mount Sinai, God said, continue in my covenant. They said, give us something to do. God said, whoa, you want something to do to earn healing? You want something to do to earn my favor? Fine, keep these 10. And then in Romans, I think it's Romans chapter 8, if I'm not mistaken, it's not Romans 8. I think it's Romans 5. I think it's Romans 5, if I'm not mistaken. But I think it's, it's, anyways, in Romans, Paul says, the law entered that the offense might abound. 
that the sin might increase. And the word enter is literally the Greek word for stealth. In other words, God never wanted to give the Ten Commandments. But because of man's self-righteousness, because of man's pride, all of a sudden the Ten Commandments came out and God said, now none of them will ever be qualified. As much as I love you, you'll never get one thing I have for you because now the Ten Commandments are here. So as soon as he finishes giving the Ten Commandments, all of a sudden God says, Moses, come up here, I need to talk to you. And he says, Moses, I want to give you the Ten Commandments personally so that you have it everywhere you go. But when Moses comes up, God should have just given it to him. Moses should have went back down. Instead, Moses was up there for 40 days, (laughs) 40 days. And you know what God did for 40 days? He talked about his son. For 40 days and 40 nights, Moses didn't eat while God talked to him about his son. God showed him the the tabernacle. He showed him the priesthood. And better yet, he showed him the high priest, which is the one of the most clear images of Jesus Christ. And so he shows him the high priest. But the standard of the high priest is this. Where all of us have failed, God says, I don't want to judge you based on you. I know that if I judge you based on you, you'll never get what I have. So what I'll do is this. I will have someone that's from among you. They will come out from you. All right. And then I will judge you in this person. So you can fail, but if this person doesn't fail, then I'll bless you as if you never made a mistake. Are you with me? Now, the high priest cannot just be anybody. God can't just send an angel and say, well, uh, this is the, this is, this will be your high priest. It doesn't work that way. A high priest must come from among us because he must know our weaknesses. He must know what we're going through. So when he comes before God, it's not just this blank, well, God, you know, I'm just here representing them. No, he has to know what we've gone through. And when Jesus came, let me say this, before Jesus, God never knew what hunger was. Before Jesus, God never knew what sorrow was. Before Jesus, God didn't know half the things that we struggle with because we only struggle with those things because of sin. And because God doesn't have sin, God doesn't know. So Jesus came and he lived among us and he saw what we were going through. He experienced hunger. 40 days he went into the wilderness. 40 days with no food. And at the end of 40 days, the Bible says Jesus was hungry. This is God experiencing hunger for the first time. In the garden, the Bible says he sweat drops of blood. You think you have stress. (laughs) Jesus, he had so much stress that the the, the vessels popped and blood came out with sweat. Jesus knows what you go through. And God sent Jesus to be one of us so that he could take him out from us. And he could stand before God as one of us. And now God will never judge you in you. The question you should not ask is, will God move for me because I've done enough? The question we should ask is, will God move for Jesus because Jesus has done enough? We should never ask ourselves, will God take care of me because of what I've done? The better question is, will God take care of me because of what Jesus has done? And the answer is always yes. It's never, will God accept me? It's always, will God accept Jesus because Jesus is our high priest. Are you with me? Now we said all that. We come to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 20 says, And inasmuch as Jesus was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, by God who said to him. Now watch this. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. This comes from Psalm chapter 110. He's quoting from Psalms, okay? The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest. How long? How long? Forever. Forever. Say forever. forever. I looked up the word forever. In the Hebrew, the word olam means forever. In heaven, God will still judge you in Christ. Because forever means forever. 
right? You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, I don't want to get stuck on this. I didn't plan on this. But do you know that the priesthood, according to the Levites, according to the law, they could bless and they could curse. But when Melchizedek showed up, he only blessed. He only blessed. He only blessed. Why is Jesus a priest according to Melchizedek? Because at the cross, the curse fell on him. And as Melchizedek came, only blessing, blessing, blessing. Jesus will only come to bless and bless and bless and bless and bless. His priesthood produces more of God's blessings in your life. And everyone said, let's keep going. Verse 22. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Now, the word surety, don't just let these be words on the screen. Look at the word surety. In the Greek, it's the word ingios, which means guarantee or security. In other words, God wants you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that his favor will rest on you. He wants you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what Jesus deserves, you will get it. He wants you to know beyond a shadow of any doubt that Jesus will not get more than you will get. Whatever Jesus gets, you get And Jesus is a high priest so that you can be sure, so that you'll have a guarantee from God himself, so that the security will always rest on him. The security is on him. And he goes back to, well, what about faith? We have a podcast. (laughs) We touched on faith a couple weeks ago. Jesus is God's way of guaranteeing you will always get what Jesus deserves. Do not expect to get less. Don't expect to get less. Don't expect someone else to get more than you will get. Because you know what? All that Jesus deserves, now you deserve in him. As Jesus is, so are you in this world. Isn't that beautiful? Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, because he continues forever, because he lives forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. He'll never change positions. No one will ever take his place and he will never change what he does. He will always, always, always for all time stand before God as our representative. Then you come to where we at? Verse 25. Therefore, he also is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I just love that. We didn't have to look at that last verse. I just love it. He lives so he can make intercession for you. Jesus has one job. And that job is to stand before God as judge, to stand before God as judge, not just our heavenly father, but to stand before God as judge and say, there is no reason why Matthew is not healed. This is the reason he should be healed. And God says, you're absolutely right. (laughs) I mean, come on, whatever the curse is in Deuteronomy, go back and read the curses. We did a sermon on that too. We'll upload it to the podcast this week if I can find it. We did a whole sermon one day on the curse, just the curse alone. And when you go back and see all the curse, you realize you've been redeemed from all the curse. Now Jesus is standing before God saying, there's no reason why he should have to go through this. Not when I've paid for it. And God says, you're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. Because it's paid for, I have a legal obligation to give it to you. I can't withhold healing from you. I can't withhold my favor from you. I can't choose to not protect you. It doesn't matter how bad you are. And I say this by the grace of God. And I hope you hear my heart. All right. In Christ, it doesn't matter how bad you are. Because God is not judging you based on you. He's judging you based on who? Jesus. And now God is legally obligated to take care of you. Aren't you glad that even when you go astray, he's the one who leaves the 99 behind? 
It doesn't matter how far you go. Even if you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death, you still don't have to be afraid. You still don't have to be afraid. Your rod and your staff don't scare me. They scare my enemies. <laughs> your rod and staff, they comfort me. What about the one who breaketh thou legs? Doesn't exist. <laughs> you won't find that. Even in the old King James, you won't find it. He doesn't break legs. He says, I put you on my shoulders. I won't make you walk back. I'll put you on my shoulders and in my strength, I will carry you home. Oh, man, this is our savior. And this is your high priest. This is your high priest. You ready to go home? I've got more. John chapter six. (laughs) Now, I wanted to lay the foundation because we must know. We must know. You must expect what Jesus deserves. So when Jesus does something. All right. You should expect God to respond the same way for you. Are you with me? When you pray for the sick, don't doubt. When you pray for someone who's sick, don't doubt in your heart. All right. Believe that because Jesus, when he lays hands on the sick, they are healed. When you lay hands on the sick, do the same. Believe that they will be healed. When Jesus showed up at Lazarus' tomb, and I love that story so much. I, I probably talk about it too much. But I love that story because Jesus shows up and he gives this awesome prayer. The best prayer in the gospels you'll find. I know Jesus taught, taught them how to pray. But my favorite prayer is the story of Lazarus and John. And you know what Jesus said? Oh, God, I'm so glad that when I speak, you hear me. But I said this so that everyone else will know that you hear me when I speak. Lazarus, come forth. That was it. <laughs> what a powerful prayer. He didn't sit down for 15 minutes and say, oh, God, I receive it. I receive the power. I receive the, the, the favor. I receive your anointing. To... No, no, he just said, when I speak, you hear me. And I'm glad that you hear me. But I said this so everyone else will know that you hear me when I speak. And then he moved. <laughs> That's a powerful prayer. <laughs> we come to John chapter six. Expect what Jesus expects. Expect it. Now that you know that, we come to John chapter 6. Now we're going to look at a story where Jesus is going to multiply the bread and the fish. Five loaves of bread, two fish. Do you know that in the entire New Testament Gospels, all right, all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is the only miracle that's mentioned across all the Gospels, okay? Now, when God repeats something twice, it's important. When he repeats something three times, it's a little more important. When he repeats it four times, (laughs) I think it's for us to study, okay? So this is clearly important to God. But not only that, keep in mind, four Gospels, you get four different pictures of Jesus. In Matthew, we see Jesus as a king. In Mark, we see Jesus as a servant. In Luke, we see him as a man taken from among us to become the high priest. And in John, we see him as the eagle, the grace of God, the prophetic nature of him above the problems, seeing problems before they come. Are you with me? So four faces of Jesus. But in every Gospel, this one is mentioned. That means however you see Jesus, this miracle sums up Jesus at his core. All right. Now, I'm going to show you something. In fact, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I don't want to forget. Let's pick up in John chapter six, verse three. John chapter six, verse three says, and when Jesus went up on the mountain, I'm sorry, and Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now, the Passover, a feast of the Jews was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now, I've already, I've I've known that that last piece I put in gold, he knew what he would do. I've shared on it before. But when I was preparing for this message, I'm telling you, I got so excited because it dawned on me. Jesus knew what he would do. Now, think about this for a moment. He said this to test Philip. But if Philip fails, is he going to change what he will do? No. If Philip passes, 
Will it change what he will do? Listen to me. When Jesus tests, it never changes what he will do for you. It will never change what he'll do for you. His test for Philip was a simple question. I'm going to show you in just a moment. In fact, no, we already saw this right here. It's in verse 5. Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? He asked him a simple question. Philip, where do you think we can buy enough bread for all these people to eat? But it will not change what he will do. Aren't you glad that grace has done something so powerful that even when you fail, it will never change what he will do? It will never change what he will do. As we come to an end and we look ahead going into 2019, let me say this. You will fail. (laughs) Make, Make no mistake about it. You will fail at some point in 2019, but it will never change what he will do for you. It will never change. He already knows what he's going to do before he arrived at the problem. Are you with me? Oh, man. So we come to verse seven. Philip answered him. Now, Philip, I want to go ahead and tell you for the sake of time. Philip, his name means the root of his name is philos, philos, which is the word for love as a friend. All right. Uh, I won't quote the, uh, the verse. I can I'm going to mess it up if I do. But keep in mind the word. There's there's many words for love in the Greek. One of the words is philios or philos. The root of Philip is philos, meaning love as a friend, a friend type of love. OK, now, Philip is a picture of. I want to say it like this, half of the believers, part of the church, part of the church that says, I am a friend of God. He loves me. All right. It's almost like a picture of Abraham. Abraham was a friend of God because Abraham was not under the law. All of us, we are not under the law. We are friends of God. More so we are sons. But keep in mind, Philip is a picture of believers who say he loves me like a friend. Are you with me? So Philip answered him and said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. Now, I want, I want you to notice, you're going to see two answers here in just a second. But again, I, I just want you to notice what their response is. Jesus says, Philip, where can we get enough bread for all these people? Philip says, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. So Jesus says, well, when we get food, he says, everyone won't have a little. His mindset is little. <laughs> it's, we're not sufficient. Everyone will have a little. Now, notice he didn't go back and look at his resources. He's trying to reason it out with his mind, right? So Philip answers from his mind. Then all of a sudden, one of the other disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus. Notice Jesus did not ask Andrew. (laughs) Who else answers Jesus when no questions were asked? His brother Peter, right? (laughs) So Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Now, notice Andrew sees what they have. Philip says, let me reason with my mind. Andrew says, what do we have in our hands? Now, what do you see here? In Revelation, the mark of the beast that will be put on people goes on their forehead and on their hands. They're trying to reason from their logic and they're trying to reason from what they can do. Right here, you have two signs. Isn't that interesting? And Andrew's name the Greek is aner, which means manly. It's a picture of man trusting in his own strength. What can I produce? What can I do? Next time I have a problem, how can I solve this? Either with my, main, with my, with my mind or how can I solve it by moving against that person? Go through life trying to reason. Go through life trying to force things. All right. Now, again, whether you pass the test or fail, doesn't matter. Jesus is still going to move. Now, watch this. He says, but what are they among so many? Verse 10. 
Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. What an interesting, <laughs> interesting piece of information there. There was much grass. We've shared on this before, so I won't take a lot of time. What color is grass? Green. green. You know what green represents in the Bible? Something new, something fresh. It speaks of the new covenant. And almost every gospel grass is mentioned. Why grass? Because grass is green and it speaks of something new, the new covenant. Why do I say that? Jesus said to, the, said to them, make the people sit down. I want you to rest. And where do you rest? On the grass. Rest in the new covenant. You want my answer? You want me to multiply? Rest in the new covenant. Stop trying to work in this new covenant. Rest in the new covenant. All right? That's the posture for receiving. So the men sat down in the number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. Stop believing that God will answer your needs. Look, he'll only answer for as much as you want. If you want more, he'll give you more. If you want more, he will give you more. Don't be satisfied with just enough. Let Look, be satisfied when your cup starts running over. Right? Don't be satisfied when God answers just what you asked for. Tell the Lord, I'm expecting more. Because when God restores, he always adds 20% to it. I mean, come on. God wants to give you as much as you want. In fact, one gospel says it like this. Until they were filled, then the miracle stopped. In the Greek, then the miracle stopped. God will produce whatever you need him to produce until you say, enough. <laughs> Whether by your actions or by your words. As much as they want it. Every Bible I have, I always underline that. As much as they want it. You know what it tells me? Matthew, as much as you want, he will give it to you. Stop thinking that God will only give you what you need. He supplies all your needs, but he gives you the desires of your heart. And everyone said? So when they were filled, and there you go again. (laughs) So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled the 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Now, before we move on, let me say this. I was meditating and I said, okay, Lord, what's the, what's the piece in this that makes this whole thing work? And I'm going to show you in just a second how God multiplies things in our lives. I'm going to show you that in just a moment. But before I do, I noticed that there was a word missing in this gospel. All right. And the word that's missing in this gospel is also missing in Luke's gospel. And it's the word compassion. Okay. Every time the Bible says Jesus had compassion on the people, people get healed. Every time the Bible says Jesus had compassion, something crazy happens, all right? When he's moved with compassion, something happens. So I went back and I found in Matthew chapter 14, where this same miracle is mentioned, it says Jesus looked up, he saw the people, and was moved with compassion. He began to heal them, he began to uh, set them free, then he multiplies the bread and the fish, and 5,000 people are fed. Moved with compassion. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus is depicted as the king, Okay? The king, all right, as a stereotype, doesn't serve the people. The people serve who? The king. And yet Jesus comes as a king in Matthew's gospel. And when he sees you, he is moved with compassion. He says, let me serve you. We don't expect royalty to come and say, can I, how can I serve you? We expect royalty to come and say, how can you serve me? But when Jesus comes, he says, no, no, no. I want to use my position to serve you. In Mark's gospel, Jesus is depicted as the servant. When the servant shows up, he has an obligation to serve. But in Mark's gospel, the Bible says Jesus looked up, saw the people coming, and was moved with compassion. 
as a servant, he has an obligation. But God wants you to know Jesus does not serve you because he has to. He serves you because he loves you. You see, if it's based on me or if it's based on you or anything that we have done, Satan can come and wedge between it and say, you haven't done enough. But if it's based on his heart for you, there's nowhere for the enemy to get between it. As a servant, he comes and says, I do it because I love you. No other reason. In Luke's gospel, you don't see the word compassion mentioned. Again, I was meditating on this and all of a sudden it dawned on me. It shouldn't show up in Luke's gospel. Do You know why? Because in Luke's gospel, Jesus is depicted as a man coming from us so that he can be high priest. In order for him to be a man coming from us, our problems must be his problems. So in Luke's gospel, compassion doesn't appear and it shouldn't appear because our problem is his problem. So when God looks at Jesus and he realizes 5,000 people are hungry, Jesus is also with us. Aren't you glad Jesus is not in heaven somewhere going, Matthew has this problem, Lord. No, he sees my problems and he says, Lord, I have this problem. Matthew's problems are my problems. And God gives Jesus the answer because I'm in him. You have a savior who says your problems are his. Man, that got me excited. (laughs) Like, come on. Your problems are his problems. That's why God will move for you. Then you look in John and the gospel we're looking at right now and you see the grace of God personified. You don't have to see the word compassion here because whenever grace sees a need, grace always responds. When grace sees a need, grace always responds. That's why in a church that preaches the grace of God, the church that talks about the grace of God, even before you ask God to move, God's favor is already working for you. When grace sees a need, grace responds. You don't have to see compassion. The heart of God is already mentioned throughout the entire book. John, who wrote this, was known as the apostle of love. He talked more about the love of God than anybody else. And when grace sees a need, grace always responds. Isn't that beautiful? Anyways, that wasn't up here. I thought I'd share that with you. Now, how how do we expect the same result that Jesus expects? All right. You say, well, if I just pray for all my stuff and God will increase it. Let's find out. (laughs) John chapter 13, we ended here. In John 14 to 21, Jesus sends his disciples across. He walks on the water. And the next morning, all the people wake up and realize Jesus is gone. You skip ahead to verse 22. We're going to read these two verses. Let me show you what happens. In John 22, on the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Verse 23, however, other boats came from Tiberias. Now, I showed you these verses just to show you this. Near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. Near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. Of all the places God could have, all the other ways God could have described that place. God could have said near the place where Jesus multiplied five, uh, multiplied bread and fish. Near the place where Jesus told them to sit down. Near the place where Jesus tested his disciples. He chose to call it near the place where Jesus gave thanks. The Holy Spirit saw fit to say the one thing you need to remember from him feeding 5,000 is that Jesus gave thanks. He gave thanks. Now, I want you to think for just a moment, what was the problem? 5,000 hungry people. I know we have problems, but I've never had a a problem where 5,000 people don't have food. (laughs) I've never been in that situation. 
You talk about a problem, this is a problem. 5,000 people need food. And all of a sudden, Andrew, who no one asked him, shows up with five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, what is this compared to this? But what did Jesus do? He gave thanks for what he had. I'm telling you, when I saw that, in fact, I was actually, I woke up, I was on my way to work. And when I heard this near the place where he gave thanks, near the place where he gave thanks, I knew what it was. I went back and studied it again. And out of that, the Lord began to open my eyes. If what in your hands is not enough, don't try to reason and don't try to force it. Just thank me for what you have. Thank me for what you have. The Holy Spirit loves it when you just say, thank you for what I have. Jesus said, no man can have anything unless I first give it to him. I'm sorry, unless the father first gives it to him. What little you have right now may not be enough for your need. Just thank God that you have it. And don't don't do it out of, well, if I thank God, I'll get more. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't do it that way. Do it in a way that you are actually grateful. I'm thank you for what I have. Well, it's not enough. It doesn't matter because I don't have to have this much. But when I say thank you for what I have, the Holy Spirit loves it so much. And I'm telling you, you should expect the same result Jesus did. Jesus, Jesus effectively did this. He thanked God that he didn't have enough. And as he broke it, he trusted God with the rest. Thank God for what you have and trust him with the rest. Anyway, can I, can I show you two more things and we'll close? I'll keep it short. I'll keep it short. Let me show you two more things real quick. In First Chronicles, I just want to show you the story. You don't have to turn there. In First Chronicles, what you see is David brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. All right. He becomes a man after God's own heart. He realizes that the presence of God should not be outside. It should always be at the center. So he brings the Ark of the Covenant in and they start singing. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. His hased endures forever. And hased in the Hebrew is your grace endures forever. So he says, hey, let's 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 put the worshipers here and let's have them worship the Lord 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They'll take shifts. And he's so happy they're singing praises to the Lord. So you come to verse 37 in First Chronicles chapter 16. So David left Asaph and his brother there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark regularly as every day's work required. And Obed-Edom, you remember him, Obed-Edom? <laughs> he had the Ark and all of a sudden everything began to multiply in his life. Obed-Edom with his 68 brethren, including Obed-Edom, the son of, I'm not going to mess that up, and Hosea to be gatekeepers. And Zadok the priest and his brethren, the priest, before the tabernacle of the Lord at the high place that was at Gibeon. Now, again, I'm just paraphrasing. I just paraphrase what all this says. Verse 40 says, to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering regularly morning and evening, and to do according to all that is written in the law of the Lord, which he commanded Israel. And with them, Haman and, I'm not going to mess that up, (laughs) and the rest who were chosen, who were designated by name, to do what? Give thanks to the Lord. He designated them to give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because his mercy or hased, his grace endures forever. Now, no, let, me, let me show you this real quick. And I'm going to show you why I showed you this. All right. I'm going to tell you why I showed you this. David said, let's not just bring the presence of God to the center of our people. Let's bring the presence of God to the center and let's set people up to sing how to, to sing and give thanks to God because his grace never ends. Think about it. 
thank God that his grace never ends. Now, if he had said, let's thank God because of his grace concerning us in our past, that would have been good. But he said, let's give God thanks because his grace never ends. It's like what she said earlier. Don't just thank God for thank God for what he has already done by faith. What he's saying is by faith, thank God that his grace will never change concerning us. God will always be gracious to us. Let's give thanks now before we need it. Let's thank God that his grace is already gone ahead of us and his grace will never change. Now, I showed you this and I'm not going to, you don't have to turn there, but in first Chronicles chapter 16, it ends with this verse, right? It ends uh, with the next verse. The next thing that happens, David goes home and a couple of days later, all of a sudden it dawns on him. Why is God living in a tent while I'm living in a palace? Now, while I was meditating, I thought, Lord, I don't want to use this verse. But as I was meditating, all of a sudden the Lord began to show me. Son, he saw something that no one else saw. Why? Because he was grateful. He was grateful. If you will begin to give God thanks, you'll begin seeing things that other people don't see. What he saw was God is living in a tent. I'm living in a palace. This shouldn't be so. So he calls Nathan the prophet and says, Nathan, I want to build God a house. Nathan says, do everything that's in your heart. As Nathan is walking away, the Lord says, go back and tell him something else. So Nathan comes back to David and he says this, and I'm going to show you in just a second. He comes back to David and he says, David, the Lord has, the Lord says this. I was with you from the time you were a shepherd watching sheep. I took you from the sheepfold and I put you in this palace. I have watched over you. I was with you with Goliath. I was with you with Saul. I've been with you your entire life. I have taken care of you. Then he says this. First Chronicles chapter 17, verse nine. Then he says this. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel. This is God. And I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. This speaks to our church. And everyone said, God will appoint a place for Center Church that we will not have to move anymore. Nor, (laughs) thank you. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. And everyone said, oh, come on. This is God's promise for you. Since that, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, also I will subdue all your enemies. And everyone said, furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. (laughs) He ends it by saying this, David, you won't build me one. You've done too much, not in a negative way. (laughs) He says, you have too much blood on your hands. So this is what I'm going to do for you. You wanted to build me a house. I'm going to build your house instead. And then what I'm going to do is this. You're going to have a son and I'm going to be with him. I will be a father to him. And his name will be Solomon. He doesn't tell him that, but his name is Solomon. You know, Solomon means the son of peace. <laughs> Anyways, he says, I will be a father to him. And I, I'm telling you, all his enemies, will. he won't have any problems. I'll be a father to him. It starts off with David saying, let me thank God for his grace that has yet to manifest. It ends with God saying, I'm going to build you a house. I'm telling you, if you will just thank God for what you have now, don't get me wrong. The thing is this, don't let your prayers be formulas to get more from God. Don't let your prayers be a formula to get more from God. Let your prayers come out of a a heart that says, I am grateful for what I have and I will trust you with the rest. Prayer is not a button we can push and get God to move. Prayer has been taught like that for so many years. Pray this way, pray that way, pray this way. And at the end of the day, Jesus is just saying, I just want to thank God for the five loaves and two fish. 
and he breaks it and God keeps multiplying. As he breaks, God multiplies. And the disciples are... <laughs> Thank God for what you have and let him handle the rest. Can I show you one last thing and I'll close? One last thing. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 and six, four through 6. Philippians chapter 4. And let me tell you, the church in Philippi was struggling because there was a lot of insubordination. There was a lot of people saying... Why is this person in charge? Why is this person leading? Why can't we? Why can't you? Why, why does this person? And they were all, ha- they were having a lot of problems. And Paul says, rejoice more times in this book than any other book. The answer to insubordination, the answer to people fighting with leadership, the answer that, to the problems they were having was rejoice. <laughs> Just rejoice. Just thank God. Just keep thanking God. Just rejoice. Rejoice. So he says in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always, not just when everything is going your way. Rejoice in the Lord when everything is not going your way. Rejoice before you get the answer. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Stop being harsh with other people. (laughs) Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With what? With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That seems like an oxymoron to me. How do I give thanks to God while I have a need? And yet, that's what the Lord wants. With thanksgiving, make your request known. So how do I do that? How do we do that? All right, I'll close with this. This is how you do it. You come to him and you say, Lord, I thank you for what I have right now. And I trust you with the rest. With thanksgiving, I make my request known to him. Let me say this. He saw your need long before you saw it. But like Philip, he wants to see what you'll do. He wants to see what you'll do. And I think for too long, I won't speak for you, for too long I have failed. (laughs) But the beauty of failure is it will never change what he will do. It will never change what he will do. It's okay to fail. It will never change what he will do. But let's grow up. Let's be more mature than we were last year, right? Let's be more mature. Let's thank God for what we have right now. And let's trust him with the rest. Can we do this real quick? Oh, man. Watch this. This chapter actually ends with verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. This chapter, sorry, this chapter actually closes with that statement. It opens by saying what? Rejoice in the Lord with thanksgiving, make your request known. Then it ends by saying what? God will supply every need that you ever had. What's the secret? Just be thankful. Just be thankful. Jesus never looked at what he had in his money bag. He never, he never did. When he needed to feed 5,000, he knew what he was going to do. When he needed to take care of someone, he always knew what he was going to do. But you'll never find one place in the Bible that says he looked at how much money they had. Stop looking at your resources. Stop trying to reason from your mind. And just start saying, thank you for what I have. And let him multiply the rest. Now, can we close the service by everyone just taking a moment to be thankful? Can we do that? Let's just, just out of your own heart, for, let me pray real fast and then we'll just, I'm going to set you loose. Father, this morning as we end this service, we just want to say thank you for all that you've done. We just want to say thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do. And this morning, Lord, we want to say thank you that you have gone ahead of us. We thank you that your grace never ends. Your grace always lasts forever. So this morning, we take a moment just to say thank you. If you would, again, just out of your own heart, just tell them thank you for everything that you have right now everything that you have right now. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. 
If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.